I don't know what it is lately with people who don't appreciate the amount of hard work it takes to get a doctorate. I remember when some people made some casual jokes about Dr. Jill Biden and how that doctor did not mean medical. And I bring all of that up because um, today's guest, her name is Dr. Leslie Ann Brown Henderson. And to know her, to know she can be soft-spoken, but she can pack a punch, especially if she has to remind you to put some speck on her name. (laughs) Each of these episodes are special to me for different reasons, but this one, and I have an opportunity to interview my first first person trained in counseling and psychology, the first person who uh, I happen to know enough about their background and the story of faith and mental health that I know the value of their contribution to this conversation about the future of faith and feelings. I am Brandon T. Bailey, and this is Controversy. Dr. Leslie Ann Brown Henderson is acting chief of staff and executive director of the Department of Campus Inclusion and Community at Northwestern University in my hometown, Chicago, Illinois. Leslie Ann oversees three units, multicultural student affairs, student enrichment services, and social, social justice education. Leslie Ann. Dr. Leslie Ann Brown Henderson. (laughs) She is responsible for overseeing and responding to bias incidents, working with staff, faculty, and students to engage in ongoing dialogue on social justice, respect, and inclusion. Dr. Brown Henderson earned her doctorate in counseling psychology with an emphasis on multicultural issues in higher education. When Dr. Leslie Ann Brown is not working, she enjoys spending time with her partner and my best friend and frat brother, Brian, Uh, her two kids, Xavier and Yara, their puppy, Eddie, traveling, cooking, shopping, and teaching boot camp classes in Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, Please, T.S. Strong community, help me welcome my sister, my friend, Dr. Leslie Ann Brown Henderson. All right. All right. All right. All right. Dr. Leslie Ann Brown Henderson. First of all, two hyphens. I just I just want to point out two hyphens in one name. I'm gonna leave it alone. That's it. That's all I'm gonna say. Double hyphen. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm so grateful you took the time to come and talk to the T.S. Strong community. Um, I, I want to start the interview with uh, Mindset Check. So I was taught in network marketing to surround yourself with the thinking that outthinks you. So I want to expose my listeners to uh, your perspective, the way you think, and let them choose for themselves. So are you ready for a few warm-up questions? Let's do it. All right. First and foremost, what motivates you? Hmm. What motivates me? Being able to make a difference. Yeah. I, you know what? Having known you, that makes so much sense, <laughs> right? I think in um, in strength finder language, that's significance, right? Just being able to be significant to someone else. Yeah, I mean, well, I was going to say my strength finder, so my top five are actually focus, um, relater, achiever, learner, and responsibility. Those are my top five. Yes. Yeah, so I can see the beginning and the end and all the steps in between. Um, and I'm committed to getting us there. I, I bet you wouldn't be surprised to know that my number one is futuristic. Not surprised at it all. Has created, <laughs> it has created quite a bit of struggle in my inner man. Yeah. <laughs> 
but I, I guess we'll get to that later. Uh, <laughs> do you have fears, Leslie, and how do you manage them? Yes, I have quite a few fears. Um, I have a fear of leaving this earth not having made a difference, so kind of connecting the last one. I have a fear of building up a career in a way that I didn't allow me to nurture the relationships around me. And I have a fear of being so work focused or production or productivity minded that I forget to live, you know, um, the other yes. thing. So how I manage those things is I'm a big journaler. I've been a journaler since I was a little girl. Um, my godmother, who since passed, um, before she passed, she handed me a box and it had all of my agendas. Like, you know, in school, you used to get those agendas from first grade until, I don't know, maybe high school. And I would write things in them constantly. So I find taking quiet moments. I'm an early morning riser. I'm normally up by 5, 5.30 in the morning. And just taking a moment to breathe and quiet and then to reflect helps me to keep myself centered. So what are what's important to me and how do I live that out every day versus what's coming at me every day? So that's how I manage that. Yeah. That So, okay, that's a great segment into this one. So mindfulness right now is a big buzzword. Yeah. Um, but I think that it means different things to different people. So what does that word mean to you and how do you use it in your daily life? Yeah, mindfulness is being present in your current state. So not thinking future state, which is kind of where you live, Brandon, from what I know about you and what you just right. shared. Or past state, which right. is where I live, right? <laughs> so I analyze everything in the past. Like, what did I do yesterday? Or what could I have done differently? And it's saying to be able to take a moment to take in your current state without judgment, but with breath and with life. Um, so take it as a learning moment. Like, where where am I? What's going on around me? How am I feeling today in this moment? Like, in my body, in my spirit, in my mind, and how do I use that to guide me into how I operate today? Not necessarily for tomorrow or in act reaction to the past. So that's how I think about mindfulness. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think about people like me forward and people like you past. And for both of us, it is often so difficult to stay in the now. Yes. And the power of now is the only thing that matters. Like that is that is the only reality. And so that is the work. That's the work I, I teach about. But it's definitely work I'm still doing. I'm just gonna, every day. I'm just going to be real. Every day. <laughs> right. Every day. <laughs> yes. Yes. Dr. Brown Henderson, <laughs> tell me, <laughs> look, I already let them know that that isn't that's an inside thing. I'm, we're going to put some speck on her name. <laughs> uh, tell me a story about failure and how you overcame it. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's been quite a few, actually. Um, so the one that comes to mind is um, is a really significant one for my for my work life. Um, so there was proposal around changes at work and I spearheaded some of the thinking around how we could do this and of course there were external pressures but it was really my decision to make and we moved forward with making the decision and things hit the fan and it was terrible to epic proportion so much so that when my boss called me on a Sunday to come to her home I thought I was going to be fired I was like I'm definitely going to be fired today and like with tears streaming down my face, sitting at her dining room table, um, she, she looked at me and she said, we'll get through this together. There was a lot of work to be done, really, to be honest, like to apologize, to mean that apology, to be able to rebuild relationships and think differently about what the work could be, as well as not to really dwell on my intention um, and really on being able to own the impact of what the decision was that I made and how that impacted others. So that's one that comes to mind. And I think it's it's been significant for me in my life. 
How, how'd you get through that? Um, I know one of the things you mentioned just about having a professional failure like that. I'm, I'm thinking about an interview I did recently where they said, you know, we sometimes internalize that failure and then it becomes I'm a failure, not I made a mistake and I failed. Right. So how did you in that moment kind of overcome that and get back on your professional feet? Yeah, I think so. Part of what's so true about me is that I am a perfectionist or like a recovering ref- perfectionist every day. So making a mistake is something I like how you recovering, said that. <laughs> you know, like every day. Um, <laughs> right. So it's not that the impact still isn't there for me, but it's really I've had to do work to be able to understand, like take a step back and to think outside of just myself and be able to think of the full context first and foremost. And then to start and it is not a math equation, but sometimes simple math helps, right? So how many times have I failed at X, right? Versus how many times have I been able to be successful at X, right? And oftentimes those things are balanced or, you know, the times I've been able to be successful outweigh the times that I failed. The other thing is like that there's this saying that um, I don't fail or I don't lose, I either win or I learn. And I think oftentimes we learn so much more from failing than we do from not. So not to sound Pollyanna because I don't like failing, let's just put that out there. I don't like it. Um, (laughs) It's a very emotional thing and it takes me a long time to get over it for myself. And when I can get on the other side of my anger or frustration or grief about it, I can see how I could have done something differently or how I've learned something deep about myself that I didn't even know was there or how I've learned that there are new allies or people who care about me and have been able to show that care given the circumstances. So I think, you know, there's opportunities that lie at every corner, but I think failure is one of the things that not only challenges my perfectionism, but opens me up to being able to learn things that otherwise would be much more difficult for me to learn. I love that. I I love that you have such a buttoned up way to deal with it, but still like, look, it's still a struggle. And I, I think people need to understand that. Like there is no perfect, you know, plan. <laughs> like you you got to fight through it. You got to do the work. I, I, I love that. Um, Okay, Leslie, one of the few times I'm going to say that. Uh, All right, Leslie, I hope the listeners have a better idea now of the way you think, but I want to kind of warm up to the controversial stuff a little bit. This next segment is about faith, which I know is important to you, so I'm excited to get your to get your uh, perspective here. I talk a lot about my journey and the controversy it has caused when I start to think about that tension between faith and feeling. So I want to get your perspectives. Uh, you, You ready to get into it a little bit? Let's do it. All right. All right. So Leslie, what is your spiritual background and, and how has, how has faith impacted, uh, who you are and what you do today? Yeah. Um, So my spiritual background is, and I'll give a little bit of the longer version. So I grew up um, going to church with my godmother, who I actually mentioned already um, a little while ago. But my Aunt Sandra used to take me and my younger sister to church. We used to go to a Pentecostal church in Montreal, Canada. Yes, they do exist. I was about to say, (laughs) what? (laughs) Yes. And it wasn't, it was a very like international, multi, multi-racial congregation of a church, but That's where we basically went and started just learning, you know, the basic premise of Christian faith. My parents were not saved, so it was just me and my sister going with my godmom. And then as we grew older, my parents came into their own faith, and then we moved to Florida. And then there we joined a very, like, very Caribbean um, Pentecostal church, um, an open Bible church. And I always say that it's there that I learned Christian discipline, like the importance of fasting, the importance of praying, um, the importance of reading your Bible, all of those things. So um, was there throughout high school and college. 
and then um, ended up in Texas. I thought I was going to be in Texas for s- six weeks and ended up being there for seven years. That's a story for another uh-huh. day. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. Uh-huh. <laughs> but there I, um, I started attending a church and it was more of a Baptist church, like black Baptist church, um, which is very different than what I'd grown up with in some ways, but very similar in other ways. Um, but I, similar, but, but different. different. Yes. Like, um, you know, I'll never forget one time we went to another visiting church and they were like, can you stand up and introduce yourself? And I was like, hi, I'm Leslie. Um, I'm Leslie Ann. Nice to meet you all. And I sat down and they were like, what's wrong with this girl? So the next person stood up and was like, giving, giving honor to God, who's the center of my life and to the angel of this church of this house and like the whole thing. And I was like, I, that church, I yes, I didn't know. So, um, very pretty different. Oh, churchology, baby. <laughs> pretty different. But I will say that I was very far from home and Texas was a new place for me. I'd never been there before. So I really developed my personal relationship. Um, I would say while I was away there. And yeah. so that's that's a lot about my I think my my background to to know Leslie is to know. I'm sorry to know Dr. <laughs> Brown Henderson <laughs> is to know that when she said the discipline of faith, she wasn't lying about that discipline <laughs> word. OK, I just want for those who don't really know her, she don't play no games about that about that discipline. So I am really excited to get to that, the last segment. But anyway, I digress. Was there ever a time, and this is a big one, all right? Was there ever a time where you lost or questioned your faith, right? I think a lot of a lot of people are comfortable with, oh, I stopped going to church for a while. That's different, right? It, where you start to wonder if the thing that you believed was the thing that you believed, right? Was there ever a time in your life where you kind of questioned any of that? Yeah, there weren't huge moments, but there are multiple smaller moments, right? I can think about when I was um, in Texas, there was a period of time when I was, so I was doing my PhD, lots going on. Um, my PhD is in counseling psychology. And the only reason why I mentioned that is because anyone who knows anything about that degree program knows that you're taking a lot of classes, you're seeing a lot of clients. Um, I was also working full time. I was doing some work with some national organizations for higher education at the time. And I felt myself, um, and I could talk, I'll talk more about this maybe later if I'm given the opportunity, but I felt myself spiraling. I couldn't catch my breath. I couldn't, I thought I was doing all the things that I was supposed to do in my faith. I wasn't really involved in church and I just, I just was not at a good place. And what happened following that was friends of, um, friends of mine left their engagement party and drove up to their house and they were found dead the next day. They were shot in their car. And another friend texted me and said that they had um, attempted suicide. And I said, God, this is too, this is too much. Like if this is what is required, I, I can't do it. You know, like I can't, I cannot do it. So that's one time, one period of time that I can really remember thinking like, this ain't it. Like, <laughs> this is not, Man. this is not the thing. This is not the thing. I'm thinking, and that was a small moment like that. If I'm already heavy and then you just get like multiple pieces of heavy news, it's like, um, I don't know. (laughs) But (laughs) it it makes it made me feel and I think I'm on the latter end of going through a very similar feeling of like, but where are you? Right. Like, I believe in something that I can't see, but if I can't even feel you, if I can't even see your hand moving, then what do I actually believe? Like, what am I believing in? You know, kind of thing. Yes. So yes, that speaks to it right there. Yeah. There've been moments like that for sure. I, I think that was the first, um, kind of like, whoa moment for me, because I mean, you, you know, the church we grew up in and, and having done it at a young age, like I could feel God and post 2014 where that went away. It was like, ah, I don't know how to deal with this, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to find you in the darkness. And yeah. so um, I love that. 
I love that response. I, I think a lot of people will um, will relate, right? How did how did you kind of fight through that? What was what was the what was the turnaround in in that darkness? I think that turnaround has always been this prayer. Lord, show me that you're here. You know, show me that you're moving. Show me like something. You know, and that something sometimes is a scripture that I read or a quote that I happen to um, find or someone who happens to text and, and ask a question or reach out for whatever reason. And it's in those really small moments that it, it feels like I needed in some kind of olive branch or something. And I'm reminded um, of that. Yeah. There are also times when it's been someone who's been going through something even more tremendous and it's their faith that's carried me through. So in moments where I feel low yeah. and I'm like, I don't feel God, I don't see him working. And someone who's going through something even more heavy or greater than I'm going through and can see God and still has the faith that uplifts me. And that those have yeah. been some of the things that have helped. Yeah, ab absolutely. I, t I told the story um, during the Adam Farmer episode of how we reconnected, but there's a really interesting story and I'll probably tell it in a live or something separately because I can't tell the whole thing. But there's an interesting story about me reaching out to Leslie. For those of y'all who don't know, I'm in a doctorate program. She was the first person that came to mind when I was literally kind of losing my shit for the first time. And I reached out to her and there were just these random moments, random advice, text messages back and forth. And you just knew that there was something more driving both of our behavior there. And so I encourage people to always be sensitive to those little things. Like if you feel this inkling to reach out to somebody or, you know, just that little urge, do, do it, it because you don't know yep. how important it is for somebody else. Yep. Yeah. I, I appreciate your obedience several times. <laughs> yeah, I, I've um, committed all right, to Leslie, when, go ahead. I've committed to when people come into my heart that I'm reaching out. You know, I'm going to send a text. I'm going to yeah. do whatever. And some for some people, it's more on a cyclical basis. But others, it's just like when you come into my heart, I'm doing it because I don't ever we don't ever know what people are carrying or what they're going through ever. And yeah. I I've. I've lived long enough and known enough people to know that people wear a brave face every single day. And there's so many people that are hurting, like that feel alone. And your message to them, your outreach could really be the thing that ultimately saves them. Um, I, I'm yeah. really great friends Absolutely. with um, someone who was a student of mine and now has been a, a, a friend who I cherish. but. I'll never forget, I used to see her like around campus. I was an administrator, she was a student, and she just kept coming into my heart. Just kept coming into my heart. And I wrote to her, I wrote her a letter. And I was like, I know you don't know me, I don't know you, but for whatever reason, you just keep coming into my heart. So if you ever wanna talk, please stop by my office. Long and behold, she was flunking out of school, like all kinds of things were happening in her life. And um, we built a bond from that moment that that was like 2016, maybe, I mean, 2006. So, you know, 14 years ago, and I've seen her through undergrad to masters, to marry, to having a family and all of the things. But, yes, you know, she's yes. a constant reminder to me that if you get the inkling, just do it. Do it. Yeah. Yes, that's good advice. Really good advice. Okay, so the Bible talks about prayer and meditation, but I'm not sure that the modern church really distinguishes between the two very well. I think most most Christians have no sense of why they're both important. So, what do you think? How do you how do you compare and contrast prayer and meditation? Yeah. So prayer for me is my conversation with God, and I know oftentimes people have this visual of like dropping to your knees or your bedside and like carving out this time. But I, I don't know for me, particularly in the last 10 years, I tend to have a circle of prayer going on in my heart with God. Um, I find, I really crave quiet moments. It might be because, you know, I have little kids and it's always noisy and there's always TV on. So when I'm in my car, oh. <laughs> always noisy, I tend to turn off the radio yes. and I just talk to him <laughs> like I'm talking to you, you know, like I, I really just try to um, talk. And then 
there are other times when I'm specifically doing a more pr- traditional prayer. You know, um, my um, Brian's family, the Hendersons, have a family prayer every night, every Monday night, and that's been happening for I don't know how many years now, many many years. So that's a, a time that's carved out to pray together. Um, but I often think of prayer as just a conversation with God. Meditation um, is really letting what you've heard infiltrate your mind, body, and spirit, right? So whether that's reading the Bible, whether that's having a quiet moment to listen to what God's saying to you, whether that's letting your own mind, body speak and being able to kind of filter that through your 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 lens, your um, your spiritual lens, and then your your mental lens, yeah. right? So that's like the taking it in is the meditation piece, um, the sitting in it, um, and it's less the reciprocal conversation and more the um, letting whatever you've read or done speak, and then you taking that that in. So that's how I differentiate between the two. I love that. And see, that makes it clear that both things are important. What, what I think is dangerous is people don't really understand the differences. And so we miss that meditation piece in that sometimes you got to be still and know that he is God. What does that mean? Calm down, hear from him, you know, be present in this moment and just absorb. And if we don't make time for that and we're just pouring out all of these requests, we're, we're missing that dialogue, which is what, you know, the relationship is supposed to be about. So I, I really yeah. I really can appreciate your um, your way of breaking that down. Yeah. Listeners, I hope you all taking heed. Yeah. Revelation <laughs> doesn't come from prayer. Right. It comes from meditation because you're Preach. you're praying is you're, you're speaking. <laughs> right. And the meditation is the the listening and hearing and taking things in. So both are important, like like Brandon said, but to get revelation, you have to be quiet. There has to be stillness. Um, you have to stop talking so that God can speak. I love it. Folks, Dr. Leslie Ann Brown Henderson <laughs> has already... <laughs> She has already shared some great insights, and now it's time to switch gears a bit. Leslie, we've talked about faith, but now I want to talk about feelings. Now, I know for for a lot of people, this is much harder to do, uh, and this is where I really appreciate the work I've done with Brene Brown's teaching on vulnerability. To know me is to know that that wasn't my thing, but I I can now appreciate how important it is in my life, and so I'm trying to project that out into the world. So are you ready to get into the feelings part of things? Yes, I am. All right. So my first question to you, counseling major, doctoral student, educator, what is mental health and why should, specifically, what is it to you, right? But why should a larger number of people care about mental health? Yeah. um, Well, first, let me just say one thing. Um, I appreciate Brandon saying, you know, I am a counseling psychologist by training and so on and so forth. But trust me, mo- many of us don't do what we, pr- we don't practice what we preach, right? So um, Listen here. many of us are great <laughs> about providing space and holding space for others, but not for ourselves. And I will say that I, I fall yes, on that Lord. number. So please don't get, get it twisted. I am not, feelings are my thing. However, um, we're all works in progress and I'm really Amen. You know, we continue. We continue to live into how we hope others live their lives. Amen. So saying that, <laughs> uh, mental health. So, yeah, yeah, you know, like, so how I feel, what I think about mental health is mental health is a part of your health. So we have physical health that we think of. So that's how you treat your body and how your body responds. And mental health is just as important as thinking about your physical health. Um, The challenge with mental health, particularly in communities of color, I'll say, is that there's a lot of stigma, particularly in church communities, right? Um, Particularly in church communities of color, black churches. um, There's a lot of stigma around... She's preaching, (laughs) y'all. ...around (laughs) mental health, right? And that we we shouldn't be sad and that we should pray, pray our sadness away. Or if we believe that God is good, then we wouldn't feel... 
um, depressed or anxious. We shouldn't be anxious about anything, right? So if we are feeling these things that we are not spiritual, that we are not truly Christian or we do not truly believe. Um, the other piece that I see show up quite a bit, and I am I am always very humbled by pastors and ministers and people who take out take up that calling because that is not my calling. And I always feel like um, it's such a heavy calling that people have. So this is not a critique of the calling. Um, however, most ministers or pastors are not psychologists. They are not counselors. Um, and I think that the church, many churches are doing a much better job of partnering with mental health to have true mental health support to undergird their membership, right? But I think that's a newer phenomenon. Lots of churches weren't doing that. Yeah, right, right. So I may have gone out on gone off on a tangent, but basically your your mental health is not only how you feel in your mind, but how that engages your mental health interacts with your um, your physical health as well. Right. Um, so all of yeah. these things are intertwined into the system. And really, it's the system that God created. So it's interwoven and intertwined. And we have to be able to care for all aspects of it, our spiritual health, our mental health and our physical health to be able to be whole. Yeah. I whole holistic look yes. at our own health and well-being is is what I have been trying to focus on and promote. And don't worry, I'm going to put you back on that soapbox in, in just a minute. <laughs> Uh, because, cause that's literally why I'm doing what I'm doing right now for so, some of the places you were trying to keep yourself from going. I want to push you to go there in just a second, but okay. So most people don't talk about this part, right? The struggle with their feelings. And I, I believe that we are all one, maybe two degrees of separation from a, a true mental health issue, right? So have you or someone you know had an issue with mental health and how did how did they overcome? How did they, you know, kind of get through and heal from from those challenges? Yeah, so I've known a lot of people to have um, mental health mental health like clinical diagnoses as well as just challenges with how they're feeling. So I'll just put a few out there um, and then I can talk to you about how people have overcome. So I've had people who have um, lost pregnancies. I've had people who um, have had um, very significant depressive episodes in their lives and something that they had ch been challenged with for a long time. Um, I, I know that a couple of months ago, myself and Nicole did a session around COVID and how COVID's bringing up a lot of anxiety for people, um, depression, anxiety. There's been so much loss in, in multiple ways. So that's, those are a couple of things that, you know, I've seen other people experience. For me personally, just recently, I've been faced with, uh, you know, Brandon mentioned earlier, this piling of things, right? When you already feel like you're down and then things just start to pile. And I, I was talking to my therapist, because I do have a therapist, and I was saying to her that I felt myself slipping. Like I felt myself slipping into a depression and I could, I didn't have enough strength. I didn't have enough energy to pull myself out. So I just felt myself slipping. You know, and what helped me, honestly, is um, community. You know, I one was being able to voice it. So I didn't close myself off from other people. And I think that's too often what we do, whether it's because of shame, Absolutely. whether it's because we don't want other Absolutely. people to see us. It's pride, whatever. We don't want to feel weak. Whatever the reasons are, we tend to close ourselves off. And that just actually makes things worse. Um, yes. But thankfully, I was at a place where I felt like I could at least voice it. So I voiced it to my mom. I voiced it to Brian, my husband. And people just started to pray. But not only pray, they started to reach out. I got calls from my cousin in Brazil, my family members in Canada, my grandmother who's 91 years old. Like people just started to shower me with love and to say that you can get through this, you will be okay, we're here for you, what do you need? And those things gave me breath. 
they gave me breath, they gave me space to feel like I wasn't alone and also made me feel, the, the feeling that I wasn't alone made me feel like, okay, people are walking alongside me, right? Yes. So that's what has really helped me. That's what helped me and what's helped others, I think, is community for sure. I think medication helps people too, and that is a legitimate thing, just like you might need medication for your diabetes, you might need medication for your depression or anxiety. So I think that or your bipolar disorder or whatever your diagnosis is. The other thing that I often hear people is like, don't let nobody label you, okay? Um, some of these, just like again, if you go to the doctor and they say you have high blood pressure, they're telling you what your diagnosis is so you know what your course of treatment needs to be. If you don't know what your diagnosis is, then you don't know how to treat it. And sometimes yes. a prayer is not enough. A prayer is a part of your treatment plan, but it cannot be the sole source of your treatment plan. So while people, I just encourage people to seek professional help, and I say do it early. You know, like I have ongoing therapy. Sometimes I need to talk to her weekly. Sometimes I only talk to her every couple months and that's okay. But I have that tool in my toolkit that I can readily access if I need it. And I think those kinds of things help us, um, help all of us to be stronger, whether we're in an immediate time of crisis or not. Leslie just said, so you kind of touched into the third question I wanted to answer, but you said something I, I want to circle back to. So one of the things I, I realized in my own practice between mindfulness uh, practices and therapy, I learned the, the importance of being an observer of your feelings as opposed to being a slave to them. Yeah. Right. And the first thing she said was, I recognize for a lot of people, it's tough to just recognize, you know, some of those bad feelings. Some of those thoughts could be symptoms of something else going on. And if you don't become aware of that, you'll be so deep in it before you reach out. And that's the other thing she said, community. Like, I know for a fact, I, those dark moments, I don't want to be around. I don't want to talk to. And, and I know the impact that that has. Listen to how she talked about people reaching out, people supporting people. You don't get that when you don't have the strength to say, I'm, I don't feel good. I, I don't, you know, something's wrong. And that's not, I mean, talk to, talk to us about how you developed that skill because people who have really sat in the darkness that is probably one of the hardest things for them to do just speak up and say you know what i this don't feel right like my thoughts my feelings like i'm i'm off and 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 they can't reach out and get that help that they need and and you seem i mean obviously we don't all have it together but at least you have the presence of mind to say you know what i don't feel good let me reach out like where did that skill set come from how can other people learn to develop it? Yeah, there's this this like diversity inclusion training and the woman who does it says we only get free together. And I think that that's so true, right? Like yes. the part around self-isolation, like isolating ourselves, the, the fact of the matter is anytime I've done that, I have not felt better. I've actually always felt yes. worse. <laughs> I'm able to hide always. from people, right? I'm able to hide And that relieves me from not being able to, like not having to feel shame or have to explain myself or those kinds of things. But I don't feel better in the dark. And I think what I've figured out, and one thing that's been helpful is to know who to reach out to. So I said a bunch of people, but you know, some people are more helpful than others given the circumstance. And I think, you know, I have a friend who um, one of my friends, my best friends, oldest friends, I know I can go to her with any, like anything and she's not gonna flinch. She's not gonna flinch and she's not gonna go into like the Jesus talk, like God will take it away, you're not grateful enough, all of that kind of thing, right? So I know if I go to her- Leslie is preaching. She will give me sound (laughs) advice. Whereas if I go to other people, um, that's going to be their first mind. So I need to be in a different mind space to be able to talk and communicate to you with you than I need to be to my friend, um, Shay. So I think what's helped me is starting to figure out like who's in my village and how do I, 
How do I engage my village in a way to care for me? How do I teach people to care for me, right? As I'm learning to care for myself. And I think that part is, is really important. So even when I was reaching out, did I want to talk to every single person? No. So if you don't want to talk, you can tell people like, I'm, I really don't want to talk right now, but I appreciate your messages, right? And let people know that you're, you're seeing their text messages or you're, everyone doesn't need a long response to everything, right? That they're sending you. Just know that you have some agency in deciding how you want to engage, but the point is to engage. Figure out a way to engage. Figure out the who you want to engage with, but engage. I love it. Y'all, Dr. Henderson is laying it down today. The T.S. Strong, Strong family is warmed up, but I, I want to get to the controversy. You, you, you keep kind of tiptoeing at it. I want to go directly at it right now. So when I first conceptualized the podcast, I literally had mental health in 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 mind right but in conversations your husband some of my other friends the the goal kind of expanded a little bit because the idea of faith and feelings and the tension that exists between those two led to a different kind of conversation so i want to shine a spotlight on that tension are you still willing to help yeah, of course i'm here let's do it <laughs> You started talking about this. So you you and my, my sister, Nicole, you guys did a, a workshop, a presentation about this. Prior to COVID-19, the church yeah. did not do a good job talking about issues of mental health. I am so grateful that that is changing out of necessity. But there are a lot of people that were hurt from the silence in the past. So yeah. what do you think should be the relationship between faith and and feeling? Um, I think they're inextricably bound, right? Like, I think if we're truly living into our faith, then feelings come, period. And um, then I think where tension really comes, at least for me, is like, okay, I'm a human person, but I'm believing these faith things, which are either that contradicts my humanity in some ways, you know, like what I'm naturally, like how I naturally would be or think or want to do. So with that being said, I think when I think about faith and when I think about feelings, I think there has to be a place for feelings in your faith. So here, here's an example. I was talking, I mentioned to you all, I've been going through some, a, a lot of things lately and I called someone who's like a big brother to me. He's been a big brother for since I was like 13. And I was saying, I'm so mad at God. I'm so angry. And my mother, who I love dearly, said, like, how could you be angry at God? Look how he's keeping you. So on and so forth. Love her. Yeah. That's the place. Would you say Jesus talk? (laughs) My mom is a Jesus talker. Love her. Um, But. Paul said to me, he said, you can be mad at God and you should bring those feelings to him because he already knows. And that to me was such a simple but powerful revelation and a release, right? Because I was fighting like I shouldn't be angry with God because I know I should be grateful. I shouldn't be angry with God and I shouldn't. And he was like, sis, he already knows. Like, so actually bring it to him. Right. And I think about the best relationships that we have, at least for me, it's relationships where I can be honest with my feelings. I can say, like, you hurt my feelings or I'm really excited about this. or I'm really nervous, particularly the negative, more negative emotions. If I can honestly share that with someone, then we are in true relationship. Right. Yeah. So how much how much more God? Right. I don't understand. I'm I'm angry. I'm really angry with you, right? And then here comes the meditation part, stopping and being able to sit. And I've been stewing in anger for a couple of days now, so let's just be real clear. Um, and I'm working through it, yeah. right? Rather than shutting it all up, again, isolation, darkness, hiding, um, yeah. and being able to release Man, I appreciate that. Release it allows me then to also, in the release, I'm opening up, right? And that opening up allows me then to receive as well. Yeah, I I love that, Leslie. It's like, you know, we... 
we can totally miss that opportunity to connect because of the shame in the that should thought right and that that was one of the things that that i had to work through in therapy i shouldn't i should i should right that's fighting reality and that resistance only creates more suffering and then the pain you're trying to get rid of is exemplified right it's amplified by this resistance to ju just feel it yeah just it's okay. Like anger is a human emotion and it's okay to experience it. Like, but I think we fight, especially like you said earlier, especially us church folks, yep. we think we're not supposed to be angry. And that is crazy. That's ludicrous. Yep. Oh, cast your cares on him because he cares, cares for you. Yep. When the word takes on new meaning. Oh, okay. So as, as somebody who has worked uh, in, in the mental health profession, is it harder to service, to help people who have been indoctrinated? And you talked about this early with that pr uh, pray about it, uh, uh, pray the pain away. Uh, uh, God's got you. Like, is it harder to help those people through challenges with with their mental health? Yeah. Let me just say um, this one disclaimer. I uh, do have my doctorate in counseling psychology, but I don't practice currently. I'm not licensed to practice and I don't practice currently. But I have seen clients going through my um, educational program, so on and so forth. So just wanted to put that out there. But as I've seen clients and have also, you know, engaged with people within my community, not necessarily in a formal setting, um, I, I don't know if I'd say it's more difficult, but I think that the barriers to be like the breakthroughs that need to happen are a little steeper because there's guilt associated with mm. not being able to like trust and believe or, you know, the things that people tell you. Yes. So I think there's there's guilt um, that follows that or questions about whether my faith is strong enough, you know, those kinds of things that. Yeah. I've had to get over and I think other people would ha have to get over to really start to get some freedom and really get some help. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way of looking at it. Um, I know that it was difficult for me. Like, yeah. I, I don't think anyone ever said to me therapy is bad or like that. But it was it's always kind of implied. It's implicit in the way we address our issues. And so. I always wonder when I when I wrote that question, I was more excited to ask it to people who are familiar with the mental health industry, because I'm just I was always curious if people show up differently in that space, if they're able to turn their church off <laughs> for a minute to address. And I, I don't imagine that's. Yeah, that's no, for so many of us, it's so ingrained, you know, like it's yeah. it's there even when you don't think it's there, it's there. Um, yeah. So it's like the lenses through which we see every situation and circumstance. And some of that is we have to undo that. And that's not different than growing up in certain kind of circumstances or households or families or whatever beliefs people hold and really having to undo yeah. those um, to be able to understand not only your faith walk for yourself, but your your life for yourself. Yeah. That's 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 a good perspective. There is a ministry for everything in the modern church, Leslie. And I know you go to a multiracial, you know, very diverse mm -hmm. uh, church. So those especially <laughs> there is a ministry for everything or a support group or whatever. So the question is, should churches offer some kind of mental health service, background, support, ministry, like, what do you think that should look like? Yeah. So, um, I don't even know if I mentioned this, but I work in higher education and I think, you know, I oversee and work alongside a staff that does diversity and equity inclusion work. And because we're working with some of our most marginalized students, students of color, so on and so forth, let's just give the circumstances that, that we currently live in, right? The racial unrest, the amount of racism and bigotry that we see and how that impacts a student's life. One of the things that we've done um, and in across my area is that we partner with our counseling and psychological service to bring 
whether it's holding space for students or different kinds of conversations for students. So we are not the mental health experts. There are mental health experts, but we do have an expertise in working with the population um, and understanding their needs. So we partner together to do that kind of work. And I share that to say, I think that's that would be a great thing for churches to really think about, right? There is a ministry for everything. So there are people who really focus on marital counseling, like that is their area of psychological work. And I, I honestly think that if I was doing therapy full time, I probably would be in that line of work. Couples therapy, marriage therapy. Um, so what would it look like for the heads of a married couples ministry, for instance, to partner with folks who are really well connected in, and um, entrenched in therapy around marriage and couples um, to do some of the work of the church. That's one example, but I think that there's lots of them, right? Yeah. I think one of the things that churches do is that people trust, you trust your church, first of all, and you tend to, you know, the people within the church community, you trust them and you tend to listen, right? You listen differently at church. So I think that if there's ways to build bridges between what's happening in the mental health world outside of the church and partnering, right, to say, we do bring some expertise as a married couples ministry or as a youth ministry or as whatever. We bring some expertise in knowing the church, knowing the word, knowing our constituency. Um, But you also bring an expertise that's really important. How do we partner? You know, I think that's what um, Auntie Yvette did for the session that Nicole and I did about the pandemic and COVID, right? Like, how does the church partner with people who do mental health work to really be able to help its congregation and to equip its congregation to be able to move through this challenging time. So that just made me think, is that, is there a link to that video that we can add to the show notes? I'm not even sure when your episode will drop, but I imagine that at any point throughout this year, the stain of this pandemic will not be lifted yet, right? Yeah. So there will still be some residual dealing with that people uh, have to do. And I would love to share, you know, the perspective that you all offered on that uh, to, to the other TS Strong listeners. Yeah, for sure. I'll make sure to send it to you. Sweet, sweet. You you kind of started touching on this. So in, in the space of like mental health and churches, do people, should people trust the church right? With their mental health, right? I, I know for me, my perspective would be, well, if you're my pastor, you're over my spirit, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm comfortable telling you uh, I'm losing some things in my head, right? So sh- sh- do people or should people trust the church in that space? I think so. And I think with that trust comes responsibility, right? And I think this is something that pastors, many pastors, most ministers know that If someone shares something with you and it's beyond your expertise, then you need to be able to refer. And I think whether it's around mental health or any other thing, right, at what point do you refer? And that referral is not necessarily a handoff, right? It's It's another point of support so you can continue to talk with this person and meet with this person and coach this person and pray with this person and help them to pray through while they're also getting additional help or support. You know, earlier I mentioned, you know, diabetes. So for instance, if someone came to a pastor and said, you know, I think I might have diabetes or something doesn't feel right. Pastor often would say, well, you should go see your your doctor, right? You should make an appointment to see your medical doctor. And this is within that same realm, right? And that doesn't mean that the pastor stops meeting with them or the minister does. But I I do think, at, at least in my everyday work, and that's not in, in the church, right? That's in higher education. But I'm constantly thinking, like, where does my expertise end? And at what point do I need to responsibly refer a student, a colleague, a friend? Um, and what does that, how do I have those referral sources at my fingertips for those people? I think that's a good way to look at it. I um, What kind of started me into this space was I did the mental health first aid uh, yeah. program. Yeah. And that was that was part of my like, man, I really need to look into this more. And that was one of the biggest things that they talked about. Like, you are going to encounter issues. The question is, do you know how to safely hand them off? Yeah. Because that that can be done wrong and cause more issues, right? Absolutely. And so I think, I think it's even important, as you were just saying, like, as ministers, as people of faith, as, you know, 
even just lay people, I think that's really why I'm doing this work right now. Even just as lay people, do you know how to hear a friend say, I am struggling, yeah. right? And responsibly point them in a direction that will help them as opposed to, as you were talking about earlier, giving them Jesus talk, you know, good scriptures, that I'm sure are meaningful in their spirit, man. But I talked about the brain, like when my brain is flipped, I can't even hear all of this stuff you talking about, no way. So that ain't helping me, yep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So One thing I've learned to do when someone does come like that, I ask like, what can I do to support you? What can I do right now? Sometimes that might be like, can you pray with me? Other times it, it might be, I need, I need a resource. I need a something, right? But like giving people the ability. And I think that's become so important for me personally, because I think as someone who likes control, when I'm in those times, I feel very out of control, right? Like I feel like yeah. I can't manage my emotions. I feel like my brain, is, my brain is everywhere. So when someone can come back to me and say like, how can I support you? They're asking me to tell them what yeah. I need. Right. And in some ways, They're empowering you yes, when you're least empowered. Exactly. Yes. 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 And, and sometimes it's like, I, I, I don't know. And oftentimes the next question is, well, can I check in with you tomorrow about it? Right. So like it's, it's this idea that you give people space and you empower them. And even if they don't have the question, the answer right then there, there is a, we can check back in, right? I'm still here. I'm still going to be here kind of thing. And that for me has been, has meant everything. I love it. Leslie, this is the last question in this segment. It's one of my favorite because it, it really does shine a light on this tension we've been talking about. So specifically when you think about the future of faith and feelings, is it the church? that is meeting people where they are, or do we the people have to meet the church where it is? And how do we move that forward? Regardless of where we are now, how do we move that forward? My thought is the church has to meet people where they are. You know, the church is the people. So where the people are is where we need to be, whether that's in like physically or in spirit or just in need. Yeah. We have to be able to evolve, always keeping the underpinnings of our faith and our beliefs, but evolve to be able to serve our constituency, our, our community. And I, I, I think that that's so very important. You know, that's how we miss the youth, because the youth are all doing this and we back here saying, no, y'all need to come back to this. And. Of course, right. there there are some fundamentals that remain true and need to be held. And at the same time, it's like how do we how do we reach a new generation? How do we reach people given what's happening in the pandemic? You know, if we cannot evolve, so here's another example. And I already I used the married couples ministry earlier, but I'll just use this because it's Brian's parents. But during the pandemic. They couldn't do business as usual. They couldn't have their classes every week. They couldn't do whatever. So they had to get creative, as many of us have had to do, and adapt and right. adjust to Zoom and other platforms and make the very most of it. Think about how they're affording us an opportunity to do something and to reach people in a different way than they were before. That is the church um, meeting people where they are versus saying, well, you know, we can't be together, so we're not going to do nothing. Or... Um, or we, yeah. we're not going to do anything until we open up again. You know, who knows when that's going to be? And I'm not saying that Zoom is the answer for everything, because I think everyone's with me and saying, like, most of us are Zoomed out. <laughs> but there's there's lots of things that we could do, right? right. We could start a group me and we share like um, a weekly something on group me. You know, there's lots of things. But how do we get creative? Right. And when we say let's let's meet the people where they are with our 
our faith and what we believe to be true undergirding us as we move forward. I love it. Yeah, man. I look, you hit, you hitting it. <laughs> you, you are hitting it. We got to be creative. And, and, and I think I said this earlier and I agree with you. Like things are definitely trending in the right direction. You do see ministers, you do see people trying to address these issues. I just think, you know, as, I think it's important to to put pressure, right? I it, because it is a clear need, it has been a need and the church if the church is going to be the church, it has to rise to meet it because otherwise people are going to find they're going to look for answers elsewhere and that's dangerous. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. Well, Dr. Brown Henderson <laughs> <laughs> Y'all don't even understand. Yes, I'd be so proud to say the Dr. Dr. Brown Henderson. The controversial nature of this conversation means it could go on forever. My guess is the T.S. Strong community will probably stop listening and do other things. So unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I have to transition to close this interview. So as we wrap up, I want you to consider any parting words of wisdom, any resources you may have or things that you want to share uh, that the community absolutely needs to grab before um, before my time with you is up. So first and foremost, what are your final words of guidance that current and future trauma survivors and trauma supporters need to hear? The first thing that came to mind is that you are enough. You are worthy of love. You are worthy to be cared for, to be respected, to be able to work through whatever trauma, harm you've experienced and to live a full life. So you are worthy of that. And I think so many of us particularly given our current circumstance, like our collective trauma that we're going through, we often ask like, why me? And then we go down into this spiral. So just yeah. a reminder that um, you are enough. That is so good. I, I know that one of the downsides of me being so introspective is that you, because you look for all the answers in here, then you put the blame in here too. Yep. And so it is so important to remember that you are valuable and you are enough. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown. Is there, um, are there any books or resources or, you know, anything that you feel like we, we absolutely need to take in to help us through these challenging times? You mentioned Brene Brown. I think she has a lot of good readings. I really like um, The Gift of Imperfection. That's one that is that. important for me to read and to continue to read. <laughs> right, um, over and over, over again. Over and over, yep. On a loop. <laughs> right. um, so I think that's good. The other thing that I've been doing a lot, well, not a lot, but doing a little bit lately is trying to read people's stories. I'm always intrigued by people's stories and particularly the ones that have not been linear, right? And most people's aren't, even though they appear to be. I, yeah. I, I know I'm late to the game here, but I just had a moment to finish Becoming, um, which is Michelle Obama's book. Um, yes. But it spoke to me in so many ways, not only as a Black woman, but she's from the South Side you know, of Chicago. So, so many of the places she talked about, I could actually visualize or when she talked about like going to North Avenue and that being her spot, I knew exactly the spot she was talking about. But, you know, I think why I like doing that is that it's a reminder that no matter how perfect you think the person is or how high or how influential, they've gone through valleys, yeah. right? Whatever those valleys might yeah. be. And sometimes it's helpful to be able to read them so that you can situate yourself in your own and know that there is something beyond the valley, even for you. Yeah. So that's been helpful for me. That's good. That's good. That's good. And guys, we're going to um, actually place links to those two books. If you are not a physical book reader, by all means, uh, join us on Audible. Y'all know those of us who are busy can definitely listen to books faster than we can read them. So uh, you can click on the link in uh, the show notes and Check out both of the books that Dr. Leslie and Hend Brown Henderson has recommended this this wonderful afternoon. 
<laughs> All right. Are you working on anything that you want us to check out or anything that we can support you and your mission and your message? You know, I'm in a season of exploration right now. So nothing for you all to check out, but I'd appreciate your prayers and energy and well wishes as I really think about what my next steps are, both in career, but beyond career. Yeah. So right now I'm in a moment of quiet and meditation and trying to, yeah, trying to get some direction. Absolutely. Well, guys, listen, if it wasn't clear, th- this is this this is somebody that's close to me. This is my sister, full disclosure. You know, I, I love her, but I know that what she has been talking about today is going to be so impactful to so many other people. Leslie, I thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for fighting through <laughs> the technical difficulties. I, I am I am a believer that when things like that happen, there is a reason. And the fact that we were able to to fight through it and make sure that whatever you needed to say is is put down so that other people can hear it. I believe that this is going to be impactful work. So thank you for your time. I appreciate you, sister. You, uh, I wish that you, you know, thank get you. better soon. Get get back to to a hundred percent of yourself. I know you want to go boot camp. So hopefully we can get our lives together. <laughs> Good lord, this year. Ha. Huh. Yep. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you, sis. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Trauma survivors, trauma supporters, to all of you, my TS Strong community, first and foremost, let me say thank you for checking out another episode of Controversy Podcast. I don't know if you are checking out the show for the first time today or if you are a return listener. Either way, thank you for the time, the energy, and the effort to listen to the content that we really believe supports our efforts to help the world live TS Strong. I do have have a request for all of you if you enjoyed the show or if you think it was absolutely terrible either way i'm asking you to subscribe rate and review give us an honest and a helpful review of course if you think the show was amazing we will take a five-star review but no matter wherever you get your podcast please subscribe help us to get the word and the message of the controversy project out to the masses in addition I'd like to invite you to the Controversy Project Facebook page, A Safe Place. A Safe Place is a free and exclusive community for trauma survivors and trauma supporters to gather together and share testimonies, resources, and support as we all endeavor to live TS strong. I want to invite you to come and be a part of the group and see what all the excitement about this incredible message as we endeavor to promote mental health strategies, resources, and support for people who have endured and are enduring trauma in this important time. Don't forget to check out any books or resources mentioned in today's episode. We will have direct links inside of the show notes page. So if you found something interesting today that you would like to take some time to take a look at, visit BrandonTBailey.com. Visit the show notes page for this episode and you will find a direct link to the resource of your choice. And finally, I'd like to remind you, as always, in closing, how important it is for you to confront your pain. How important it is for you to live your purpose and how important it is for you to invest in your project. Let's get to work, everybody. Until next time. Peace.